Keep your mouth shut. Hey, here we go. I'm not going to edit that out either. Welcome Good. to another episode of the What Any Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith, with Rob Miller. And um, last week we talked a little bit about, obviously, some communication issues and things like that. <clears throat> Hopefully that took away from some of that and did something about it or recognized something. Well, a little bit of self-reflection would go a long way for yeah. many of us. And I think that's all first responders. Yeah. So this week we want to talk a little bit about, I would say, an, damn near an epidemic in the first responder community, and it's burnout. And whether you want to label it burnout, depression, anxiety, it all kind of it all kind of flows together. But we want to touch base on it a little bit because I was reading an article. I'm always looking at trying to look into the latest research on mental health for first responders and whatnot. And I was looking through an article on this uh, website called First Responders First, and they did a lot of work with the American, I think it's the American Psycho- Psychological Association or something, something along those lines, it's not important. But they're talking about the 12 stages of burnout. And when we looked at, or I was reading through this, I'm like, man, I, I was able to relate to all 12, like right in a row, pretty much. <clears throat> so I talked to Rob and I thought, well, this is, uh, this is something we want to address and so we're going to talk a little bit about each one of these stages. And what we want to do is have you put yourself in like what in in these positions. How, how do I frame that? Oh. Like if you're recognizing each one of these, like, all right, we'll just go to the 12 stages of burnout. Well, <laughs> stage. You couldn't talk about all the stages, right? And the thing is, like, would do we even recognize? Yeah, there you go. That's what's going on with us because yeah. I could say, hey, have your significant other read these and see if you fit the bill. <sighs> because a lot of times, I will be very honest, we don't recognize our own problems. So, I mean, it's going to take, obviously, you to say, "I'm this might be me. Mm-hmm. And having the courage to talk to somebody else, yeah, not another cop, and ask them, like, hey, do I fit this bill? Mm-hmm. Because they're going to see you from the outside. And this could be a good one for therapy. If you see a counselor or you want to look into some counseling, if you're um, at that level or not. But um, number stage one is you feel there is a strong need to prove yourself. Holy smokes. I never feel that way. You still do to this day. I haven't worked with you in the <laughs> for 10 years in the department. But, I mean, like, it's a real thing, right? When Especially new guys. You get hired on the job, you have to prove yourself. And I'm, I'm not saying, this isn't really a severe one, but it's there. That peer pressure to, to prove yourself, to, uh, right? Yeah, like. So if you feel that need constantly or it's an overwhelming need, it's going to lead to burning yourself out very quickly. And that, again, this is just step one that they're, that they're talking about. We all have to do this to a degree because we have a job to do and we have to prove ourselves. But if you start getting overwhelmed by that need to prove yourself, then that could be a problem. Would you be just discussing that in like your work culture or home or because, you know, like I think like the need to prove yourself, right? Is it the need to prove that you're a competent first responder or the need to prove yourself that you're always right? Well, it could be either one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Jen would say that I do that all the time. I would back that up. Stage two, you keep working harder and harder to achieve that. No. No? Do you think so? About you? Yeah. Now? Yeah. 
<laughs> number three. You're laughing. <laughs> number three. No, what? but you keep. I what this what this this is like an infographic infographic that we're reading from, but this came from a very long article and it gave several examples. But specifically, so number one, you get into your profession and you're you're there's a lot going on, but everybody I think feels the need to kind of prove themselves. You have to to a, a certain degree to make sure that you're competent to do the job. But we're talking about specifically is what did we do? We got hired before we could even get on. ERT, we got on the honor guard, then we got on ERT, then we got into driving instructors, firearms instructors, we did all of that stuff together. Was that a need to? Well, I think there's, I, I think there's the need to prove that you are competent in your job. Otherwise, you're not going to get a special assignment, you know, that you talk, well, communication, uh-huh. they watch how do you deal with people? You know, are you a problem cop? Are you you talk down to people. There's there's a lot that goes into that, but I'm thinking like I think that's normal for everybody to want to be able to prove that you're competent. I think some people don't give a shit if they're competent or not. Well, yeah, there's a lot of those. <laughs> but when they're talking about specifically to burnout, I would say that this article leaned more towards the fact of it's becoming an internal issue where you might be suffering some anxiety and depression, and we're gonna get past being brand new. There's always that stress of when you're new, you have to prove yourself. You keep con- working harder. I would look at it as the constant pressure, right? Internal pressure to prove yourself all the time. And yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And again, this is going to be subjective to each person where they're at in their kind of their walk. So stage three says that you begin to neglect your own needs more and more. I would say that that comes to what hobbies, recreation, family. Um, you're spending more time at work. So I've read um, "Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement," the book, Dr. Kevin Gilmartin, several times, and he talks about the role identity. Yeah, that we fall into that, right? That me. He and he talks a lot about remember the I used to. Yeah, I used, I used to. to syndrome. I used to fish. I used to hang out with other buddies. I used to do this. I used to do that. So now that you're starting to neglect your own needs, your own hobbies, and this is where the identity shift into I'll your work. career starts taking place. So be very, very careful of that. Stage, are you good with that one? Stage four, you are conflicted and blame others or the situation. You do that all the time. We, we both got You're always that. blaming me for something. Well, yeah, it's because of the way you act and behave and conduct yourself. I think I act fine. You're conflicted and blame others or the situation. But you talk a lot about playing the victim role. Oh, I do. And I did it. Oh, I, I, I will 100% say and, we, and that we both have blamed everybody but ourselves for yeah. our own problems. Yep. <laughs> yep. We blame others or the situation. So this is like starting to now the job is really beginning to take over and you're needing that validation. Yeah, so here, here's a good spinoff from that. I had a good conversation on Thursday with a fellow student. He's got five years on the job. And he's probably going through some burnout right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, as I'm listening to him talk, and I'm thinking, like, I'm just listening, right? And he's done, and I'm like, you know what? Everything you have just said is so valid. You're five years on the job. You're 
idea of what law enforcement was or should be is totally changed. And it was funny. He's like, I'm irritated at policies. I'm irritated at a supervisor. I'm, we don't have enough road patrol. You know, we're, the profession is short. Mm -hmm. They're overworked. Right. You know, I can't get the days off. The prosecutor's office, they're not, you know, authorizing my warrant requests. And then I think, like, what is it that I'm doing wrong? And, and all those things. And I think, you know what? Everything that he said to me was something that I have yeah. said. Yeah. Because we, at some point, think, like, why am I even doing this job? And then we just blame everybody else. Yeah. And to justify why we feel pissed. Right. And a lot of times they're is justification, but you have no control over it. And that's where I really ran into problems because then I really threw the blame down of like, well, if people weren't so damn lazy and did their blah, blah, on, 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 on. Yeah. So there is some validation there, um, you know, but it comes down to that control. Stage five, you change your values to focus on work more. Now we're getting into, you're only hanging out with those in your inner circle. Uh, what would you say by changing values? Changing values to focus more on work. You just kind of dump everything else and... Well, I think there's a couple different ways to look at that because, well, how is it that police, we go through extensive background investigations. We get hired. We go through psychological. We go through polygraphs. We go through all this testing to make sure that we're competent mentally, emotionally, physically to do this job. And then, you know, eight years in, 10 years in, you're being investigated for larceny, robbery, uh, drug use. Um, you have addictions. You sell your gun for crack. And these are cops, right? This, these are all things that happen in, in law enforcement, right? Mm -hmm. So so I think like... Yeah, that's, that's so, kind so of So you change are changing values. your values, basically. <clears throat> okay, so when I think of like when officers go astray from, you know, their job and do criminal behavior. I think a lot of it probably has to do with, like, the, how could you not justify it? Like, I think to myself, if I let accountability, right, and you see drug dealing going on, you see all this bad stuff, and you're like, well, why can't I mm -hmm. get some money? You know, and before you know it, you know, you, you basically say this whole world is a piece of shit, mm -hmm. and I might as well get in on it too. Now I'm not saying like I've ever done that, but I'm, but can I see where somebody would fall victim in law enforcement? And then where are their values? Where are their morals? Where ethically do they stand? Yeah. And I think the job changes, could change that if you don't, well, yeah, you could, if you don't so, identify yeah, it. That's, that's at a point where you're getting, I would assume super jaded and just super like this, this is like around stage five or six, but man alive. I mean, if you're justifying your behavior, yeah. Which you know is not ethical based on what's going on in society. You need some help. You need some help. Yeah, for sure. Um, you deny the problems that arise due to work stress. That, again, we talked about that last episode in communication breakdowns with the family. Um, you're just denying that there's any sort of problems. This job is changing you, and you're really you're seeing the world differently, and you're denying the fact that it's you and that it's not the world. Does that make sense? Does that sound right? Yeah. yeah. So you find yourself, I'd say at that point, you know, that's a pretty good sign of burnout, fatigue, and some depression. 
Um, you withdraw from social life and your family as well. Again, going deeper down the rabbit hole, we just talked about this. Withdrawing, there's a difference between coming home and I need a few minutes to kind of chill out or to reset your mind and what Gil Martin talks about, isolating, sitting in the chair with remote <coughs> control. Um, so withdrawing is a big one, and I think we do it. We, we withdraw from those things, and we attach to people just like us. Oh, I think this is one that we could probably do several podcasts on, Aaron. I think there's many times where law enforcement we just don't want to associate with non-law enforcement people because we don't want to have questions. We don't want people asking us questions about crime, you know, what's going on in the country. They might have got a speeding ticket. You know, people might find it interesting. They want to hear cop stories. Tell me this one, tell me that one, and then then it forces you to talk about it, mm-hmm. and you don't want to. Yeah, that's tough because... And then like- you just don't go. I, Right. Well, here's a good one. Have you ever not went to a social gathering that involved your kids or your wives because you're a cop? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have any examples? Or can you think of one? I mean, I could think of a couple. I, I don't... Not you. Well, not just necessarily you. But I me. wouldn't say, like, specific examples, but, I mean, like, just in general of, like, I just don't want to go. I mean, yeah, there's like um, somebody's birthday party, a mutual friend's birth, an acquaintance's birthday party, even at the church or um, so-and-so invited us over. It's a group of people I don't necessarily know. Yeah, I mean, that happens all the time. I'm trying to get better with that stuff, but yeah. I'm not, not, I'm not trying to put not, you on the spot or anything. No, no, I understand. And I'm not, what I'm saying is that not, I can't remember a specific time where I was just, I'm sure if you asked my wife, she would she would tell you several times, but no, I know that I've done it. So asking specific, tell me your story. Cause I know you got one. No, I, I think I talk about that, but I've heard many law enforcement and first responders say, you know, I, I just hate going mm-hmm. anywhere. Yeah. You know, like a Christmas party or, you know, a, a, a spouse or a, a family gathering, a reunion and they'll, they'll talk about it. Yeah. There's times like I, I have said like, I don't want to go to that. I don't want, I don't even want to be around people. Right. And I, I'm not saying it's like all the time. It could be somewhat situational, but I have heard people say, if I go, they're going to ask me police stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to deal with those MFers. That's not you. <laughs> you never said that, but yeah, I've heard that a lot. And I think to myself, like, well, there's hey. some truth to that because I think, I think we all, all get there to a degree. Yeah. So, so we need to recognize that we need to go. We need to be supportive. So yeah, at least at least in finding the balance. Yeah. If you're if you're saying if you answer yes to this and you clearly have defined examples, I would suggest getting some counseling. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um where were we at? Eight, your behavior changes, which upsets your loved ones. Mm. Wait, don't even try to pause. <laughs> you need to take a drink just be- <laughs> Yeah, you need to take a time out. Obviously. We are where we are because of, I would say that, behavior change, upsetting loved ones. Again, last episode. I would like to know somebody who's in law enforcement that this does not happen to. Yeah. I think this one right here is inevitable. 
unless right. you are really, really, really aware of the way that you communicate. And I'm hoping that, you know, those that are listening, especially if you're young, that you can change the way that you communicate. But this that one, I think, is inevitable. Yeah. So you need to really find, like, be self-aware of a lot of that. Um, stage nine, depersonalization happens. You do not feel like yourself again. Going back to, that's straight depression, I'm sure, if we would ask any professional. And that's what sucks is that we have to depersonalize ourselves, right? I've thought about this and put this into perspective a lot of times. Like when people get pissed at you or as 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 a cop, they're strictly pissed at the uniform. Like they don't know you personally. It's not a personal attack on Rob Miller, Aaron Smith. It's the job. It's the profession. And you start, you do take that personally, but if you can always put it into that perspective, they don't know you as a person, you know, or how. Well, we could go right back, and I believe we've discussed this one, is that you you cannot take this job personal. If you do, you're going to be a victim, you know, like I said, the person that shot me <coughs> did not hate me. It was a cop sitting there. He would have shot anyone. Yeah. So you, you really have to look at this job and say that it's, you can't take people running from you personally. You can't take a car pursuit personally. Well, you shouldn't. Right. They do. Yeah. And I think like. And it's hard not to. <coughs> you know that, well, we could discuss this one too, like a lot. But if you're, you could Google any police issue. I mean, they're all over. You know, where cops lose their shit on somebody because of they were speeding, they did this, they did that. You were, I can't believe you were speeding on my road. It's not your road. Yeah. Give them a ticket or not. Don't sit there and yell at them. I mean, we could pull up video after video after video after video where cops lose their shit and it really becomes because they are taking this personal. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, and that's a good good way to good way to put it like know that when you put that uniform on i mean obviously you're representing yourself you're representing a lot of things but don't take the criticism personally they don't know you personally and i think that that's a good way to separate too like they don't know me personally and i'm okay i'm okay with me i believe <laughs> so that the, you leave right i believe the sooner that you can successfully do that yeah the less likely you're gonna get in serious trouble as a police officer right yeah that's where the trouble comes from good point uh, number 10, you feel empathy and numb substance abuse can occur. Well, yeah, you're, straight, get, you're getting up, up there. Depression. Obviously, yeah, alcohol abuse, drugs. Uh, a lot of our guys in our first responder community are turning to street drugs, which I'm talking like meth and heroin. I've read a few articles where meth and heroin are creeping into first responder communities, which is uh, frightening. I mean, we always know about alcohol. Why? Because it's socially acceptable. We're all alcoholics, not us. I mean, you know what I mean? Our first responder community, 25% of police officers, I think 30% of firefighters. I would just say there's, <coughs> it's higher, there's a high. But you're, you're, again, that stage of burnout's coming to, you're looking for some way to numb that depression. Instead well, I think of, first responders are... Very good at self-medicating. Yeah, absolutely. So if you find yourself like, obviously, we we talk about this all the time, and you know that there's obviously a difference between 
am I going out and drinking a couple uh, days a week to just chill out and unwind, or is it something that I need to get through the day? We talk about that in building habits and cue craving reward, your wants versus your needs. There's nothing wrong with you know having a few drinks, but if it's something that you need to cope, then obviously you know you don't need to be told that you have a problem. This goes the same way for medication. I know a lot of guys that are stacking a lot of alcohol and medications, and it's dangerous. Man, talk to somebody. Um, number 11, you feel depressed, lost, and completely exhausted. Of course, most of us get there. Obviously, that's that should be stage 12, but stage 12 is you mentally and physically collapse. Full burnout. I think I hit, so it's stage 12. I think I got to about stage 14, whatever that might be. <laughs> but no, I mean, these are just a few things, and this comes from first responders first, and we just want to touch on some of the stuff that, you know, it might be apparent, but hey, ask somebody that loves you. You know, my boys are old enough now where I just I could just sit down and ask them, hey, do you think uh, I hate my job still? Do you think that I still act the way I did when I come home from work that I used to, whatever the case may be. There's nothing like a child's honesty if they feel comfortable talking to you, right? Kids do say the damnedest things, but my kids are adults now. Um, years are pretty close. Well, one is. Um, so, yeah, what do you have to say to that? Oh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Burnout. I think. See, and the thing is, what what's kind of weird is that we see officers leaving the profession in large numbers. And I think that exit interviews, I don't think that they're done anymore. And in an exit interview, is somebody going to be completely honest with why they're leaving either that specific department, that profession, that that job? Is it the burnout rate? Is it higher? I mean, I think of the stress load that's put on <coughs> these kids now with uh, being shorthanded in the hours and then the job itself. We're being asked to do more and more. With uh, less. With less resources. I'm seeing that definitely. I ran, ran into a few of our uh, previous students, and, you know, I'll, I'll pull them aside, and I'm like, hey, you know, you, are you okay? What's going on? You know, they have like one or two years, and like, has something happened to you? And they're like, I am just so tired of getting mandated in. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have days off. I'm tired all the time. I can't you know, do anything for myself because, like, the new officers coming out of the academies, especially if they're coming out of our academy, we promote, like, you have to have a life. You know, don't overwork, you know, maintain good relationships. And they come out, and they're not doing that. They're not able to do it. And right. when the department's, like, 15 short and people are getting mandated in, I've never been mandated in. Were you ever mandated in um, as a patrolman? Just once, but that was because of the... Get, remember the whole gas explosion up in the Washington Heights? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was emergency. That wasn't, I, I don't think because of short staffing. I don't um, ever remember being mandated in because of short staffing. Mm-hmm. But the new officers, well, not just Battle Creek, all over, yeah. are being mandated in. Yeah. It's not that they want to work overtime. They're working it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of stress. It's, it's, it's tiring. Yeah. Plus, so plus you can't. You know, overtime should be something you can control. That's one thing I think you should be able to control. If you want to work overtime, you work overtime. Yeah. If you don't, you don't. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's at a point now where it's like in a, a crisis mode for these departments mm-hmm. um, running so short staff. But so 
anyway, I mean, I think a lot of the burnout starts, it creeps in, right? From we talked about from starting to try to prove yourself <coughs> to taking everything personally. You guys know that are listening, you know what a lot of these steps are. We're just asking that you try to do something to start recognizing this. Um, I just wish that, like, I mean, when I was off work, talking about the ERT thing, getting off of the team, I should have done that probably several years before that. Well, it's also having an accountability partner. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that um, that go on that we're unaware of. I mean, you don't, when, when we got into this job, it was the, the most exciting thing in the world. We didn't just one day wake up becoming victims, being burned out, being pissed off at everybody, being into the spot where you hate the job. That being assholes. Just, yeah, that doesn't just happen. Well, you mean it doesn't happen overnight? For you. Whatever. Whatever. I was nice out there. No, you were. Not to me, but to the public, you were. You I'll, didn't deserve I'll it. i give you credit for that. You didn't deserve it. Moving forward. I don't know. Yeah, you don't know. It's funny because every antic that I ever got into was because I was roped well, into it with <coughs> you, and then you rope, like you saw last time, rope, roping other people into it. Yeah, I, I, I do rope people into things. Mm-hmm. Friendships. Yes. Somehow. But anyway, um, yeah, this was kind of a, we wanted to just get this on the on the podcast about burnout. It's all over the place. And just recognize it. What what else? What else would you recommend? I mean, it's hard to say, what do I recommend? say just recognize it, but a lot of people can't or they don't. It's like you're, I when guess you're maybe, in it. Yeah. You're right. You're not going to recognize it. I could. You know, when I was in law enforcement or you were and we're having like down and out and I mean, we're, we're in the shit. I mean, we're in it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to look at that and say, I understand that. You're not going to. You just won't. You might think like, oh, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem until the whole bottom falls out. And you're like, oh, I guess I do have a problem. Right. I think the biggest thing is being open to sharing that list with the people you love. Give it to them and listen to what they say and not get defensive. Yeah. Just don't get defensive. Listen to what they say and they might have a spin on it, they might say something like, eh, maybe maybe there's some truth to it. But more likely than not, they know. Mm-hmm. Sure. They are, and give it to a couple other people. And there were times in my life where I've actually asked, well, you, you know, or Jeff or other people that were close to me, like, hey, just give me your honest feedback, right? No matter what, just say it. And you have. Yeah. You're like, I think you're drinking too much, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, I probably am right now. Probably need to cut back on that. Um, or... You know, you're not treating your kids well or you're not taking care of yourself. Like, I, that's a huge thing. The last five, four years with me, with the whole change in the department, you know, with the combination of criminal justice and EMS, I'm the fattest I've ever been. I was up to 272 pounds and everyone's coming to like, hey, Rob, you know, and I used to teach fitness. I mean, we were very active. Yeah. And here I am looking at myself like a big slob. And I'm thinking like, how the hell did that happen to me? You know, stress, you're tired, you don't want to work out, you get depressed, you know, you're like, oh, you know, like, just get through the day, you know, you're in survival mode, mm-hmm. you're just, you're just staying above water. And then I think like, you know, last four years, and finally, you know, since February, I've been, you know, working out with you and busting my ass again, I've lost 20 pounds. But the thought of like five years ago that I would ever hit 270, right? like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, It's like, I go up, <laughs> my dad laughs at me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't blame them, though, because, you know, when I was younger and you're fit, I'm like, oh, I'll never get like that. I can't believe anybody, you know, can get that heavy and not work out. And 
and there I am yeah. eating eat, <laughs> eating crow. But the thing is, it catches up on you. You know, it's kind of like how many times have you asked, like, "Hey, get to the gym, do this, do this, do this," and then finally, you know, you 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 have to want it. That's the thing. Sure. Like anybody can tell you, "Hey, you need to start. You got to get out the bottle. You got to get some help. You need to go to counseling. You need to do this." But you're right. It's like you can say that to somebody. They have to want it. Yeah. And, and not only do they have to want it, you have to understand that the people that are usually on your ass the most are the ones that care about you the most. Well, and they're not the, the ones, I mean, with me, like a lot of times those conversations with you in some of the things that we talked about are very difficult. And like, quite frankly, we would get irritated with each other, you know? Well, I think that we understand. Well, I, well, it's respect for one. Like we both know that... I could tell you something and be very blunt and you're still going to be my friend at some point and you're going to tell me something and I'm going to be mad, but I'm still going to be your friend. Yeah. And, but you're right. A lot of first responders, you know, it's like they can see their friend or their coworkers on fire. They don't do and shit. They, and they don't even know how though, but that's the other yeah. thing. Like, I don't even know how, but yeah. So knowing how <clears throat> is just, if, if you care that much about them, you tell them it's because you love them and you care about them and that's it. And like you said, the second part of that is they have to want it. Like I can tell you, I, I, I care about you and I love you until the, and like you're being an asshole, whatever the case may be, put that hard truth out there because you do care for them. But if they don't want it, you have to, that, that's another thing that kills you too, is when you try to chase people that, that you know need help. I mean, that's difficult, right? You're watching, you're watching people crash and burn that you love. And well, there might be a time where you're going to have to report an officer or a first responder what's happening. You might have to make a complaint. Yeah. You might have to do something to stop it before, you know, they're dead or they're in jail. Or, right. And, and I think of, well, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of work. I, I think, like, who's the best person? Probably your significant other. Mm-hmm. You'd have to be, but you'd have to listen to them. Right. Like Jenna's told me many times, like when my behavior is exhausting, you yeah. have to, but I have to listen to her. I have to actually say, you know what? She is really smart. She knows exactly what's happening. I need to not be such a dumbass. Mm-hmm. And you then I can, I can verify that. So you got two people. I'm sure there's more people. Well, I know there is. So, all right, cool. Um, hey, we're all, I mean, not we're all, if you're facing burnout, man, get some, get some help. Or, you know, reach out to one of us. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, we're willing to sit down and talk to you. And we, it's, you might not know us, but I think the bottom line is is that people will talk to somebody they feel is credible, mm-hmm. who's honest, has a good heart, that has their best interest in mind. Yeah. And that's not going to judge them. That's the other thing. Yeah. And we, uh, we, you know, we don't have all the answers. And I, I, I tell people that a lot often in but we'll find them for you. Mm-hmm. I put people in touch with my counselor quite often. Um, you know, ask me some, ask me questions or whatever the case may be. Reach out to us. That's what we're here for. That's why we're doing this. You don't have a, Aaron. you don't have a story to close us out with this week. Well, now I, I kind of came up on you fast. Why don't you, why don't you come up with a story? Because I need to think about like, you know, when we talked the other day, half the stuff we did, you know, we've, we've mentioned that before. Like, yeah, I forgot about that. I forget about 90% of the stuff we did until like another story is brought up, you know, and that's the thing. Like I met, you know, I miss Trace Christensen. 
Yeah, he, he used to be. He used to come up into the bureau. Uh, we lost Trace back in January. He was a crime reporter for the Bow Creek Enquirer, and uh, man, that dude remembered stuff from 30, 40 years ago. And then he'd bring stuff up that I'm like, my gosh, how could I forget about that? And he was a real fun guy to talk to. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, I really miss him. He was a fu- he was a fun guy. And uh, but yeah, I think of like there we have stories. I just something has to trigger it. But we'll get some more. We'll get some more podcasts where we had some some fun out there on the job and push the limits a little bit. All right, I'll, uh, I'll finish with a quick of story. Of course. <clears throat> All right, so obviously we we were both FTOs, right? Mm-hmm. We're field training officers, and you know you're training what we call the Cubs, the new guys, and. You know, and, and officers, you know, like we said, they want to prove themselves. They want to do a good job, and, you know, they look at the officers that are able to, you know, get large quantities of drugs or guns or felons off the, off the street as, like, a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it takes time, right? I remember one time there was a new officer who were doubled up, and we had a good stop, and, you know, he's talking to everybody, and he gets consent to search the car. So it was kind of kind of shake shady, you know. I thought you know there was like I think a little bit of weed in the car, but so anyways, he gets consent. We find that. So when he's not looking, I'm checking the trunk, right? So there's a one person, and he's with that person. I'm in the trunk, so we still have contact cover going on. <clears throat> and I was like, "Hey, come over here!" And he, and he comes over and he's looking in the trunk. I'm like, "Look at that!" He's like, "Holy crap! It's a gun!" He's like, gets, gets on the radio, and he tells dispatch, he's like, yeah, punch me a starter for uh, CCW Nanata, which is a pretty big deal. You know, we got to stop. We got a gun. You know, he's letting everybody in the t- everybody know on the radio. And we're looking at that gun. He's like, I'm like, that's a nice gun, isn't it? We're standing there. It was, was kind of dark out underneath the streetlight on Dick Monroe, I believe it was. And I reach in. I grab the gun, and I holster it. It was my gun. What was what was the point of doing that? <laughs> to screw to screw with the new officer. Yeah, so when he's back there, he's like, "Oh, you know, I'm gonna get something." And then I tuck my gun in there, and and then he, he comes in. Now, mind you, that person was already detained, and he comes around, and he's like, "Wow, I got a gun," you know. Yeah, so it was really just to screw with him, and I took it out, and he's like, "I just punched a starter. What the hell am I gonna do now?" And I'm like, "I can't cancel I, that. Sucker. I guess you gotta cancel it." <laughs> So yeah, that was a that was kind of funny, you know, teasing him. But yeah, I'm like, you didn't tell, you couldn't tell that was a Glock sitting there. With a caught lock. up in the moment, man. That's a big deal getting there. Oh, of course. So that was kind of a, you know, and we were joking around about it, you know. So and obviously he was a good egg. Yeah, he's been he's still there for a long time. But it was a, a story, yeah. that, you know, like, hey, this will be this will be kind of funny. But that was mean. All right, um, that's it. We're gonna wrap that one up for now come up with some more i'll think of some stories we'll come up with another fun one here before too long but in the meantime make sure that you guys are reaching out uh contact us at the 180 impact at gmail.com uh, a lot of people have been reaching out to us on social media which is fine just takes us a little bit longer um so take care of yourselves take care of each other and until next time we will see you